this morning, I want to share with you a truth that I learned about seven years ago um, when I experienced what some would call a dark night of the soul. went through a time of soul searching and discovering the truth that our God is greater than whatever you're facing. And for me, uh, that truth became real as I was uh, laying there on the floor crying out to God, needing to hear that He indeed was greater than what I was going through. I don't know where you are today, but you also uh, may be facing something where you need to hear that our God is indeed greater. Someone once said that either we are about to enter hard times, have just come out of hard times, or right in the middle of hard times. So wherever you are today, I want you to hear that for all of us, Our God is indeed greater. If you're in the middle of hard times, I want to encourage you this morning that our God is greater than what you're facing. If you've just come out of a difficult day, then I want to remind you that our God is greater than what you faced. And if unfortunately something hard is on the horizon, I want to prepare you that when you get there, our God is indeed greater than what you face. Uh, And so I'm going to ask if you would turn to John chapter 11. I've got a lengthy passage to read because I want us to hear the entire story. Don't worry, I am not going to expositionally uh, preach through every verse. I just want to read the entire story and then come back and catch a few of the verses as we look at John chapter 11. You'll recognize that story in John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus and uh, his resurrection from the dead. And you'll remember that story And the main emphasis that most of the time when we look at this, we look at that physical resurrection of Lazarus. And I want us to today, if we can, kind of set that to the side. That's the obvious reading of this passage. But I want you to join me in asking God to show us something different than maybe we have seen before from this familiar story. Uh, As was said earlier, my name is Ron Thompson. I have the joy of serving you as your uh, director of missions is the term some use. Coordinator of missions and ministries is the term we use at our office. And we work with the Association of Churches in West Central Louisiana. Now, there's actually five associations that we work with. You're a part of Sabine Baptist Association. Just to your north is North Sabine Baptist Association. To the north of them is DeSoto Baptist Association. And to the the east of DeSoto is Red River Baptist Association. And to the south of that and to your east is Natchitoches Association. And those five uh, associations across four parishes have about 123 other churches just like yours that are gathered together for worship this morning. And we have the joy of helping coordinate the work so that what we do together is uh, bigger than what we could do on our own. And our goal is to share the gospel with everyone in West Central Louisiana, that they would have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and respond to that. Uh, And so we get the joy of working with Clara Springs Baptist Camp, where they have just finished up uh, a camp season up there with Bubba and Mandy Mills. And some of y'all were out there at the beginning of of the summer helping build beds and prepare a a new dorm to come online that was filled to capacity as they they hit over 240 Uh, students at several of the camps and so we appreciate your work and investment in that we also work with mary gore and danny warmack over at toledo bend ministries where yesterday they had uh, helped host the back to school uh, bash and and gave away a lot of uh, 
school supplies to students in need, and they've been ministering up and down the lake all summer long doing vacation Bible schools and things uh, to help share the gospel to those who live and, and visit the lake community. And then we also work with Bill and Phyllis Collins, who uh, are approaching 30 years of college ministry at the BCM at Northwestern. And some of you have been through there. Some of you have sent students there. And uh, so we know that God has done a great work there as well. And then we pull all of us together to do disaster relief work. And many of you have helped in that uh, capacity and gone out either for a day, an hour, or a week. Uh, but you've gone to serve, and we appreciate that. And um, so we do a little bit of all of that. Uh, my wife uh, serves with me. She keeps the office running, and I keep the roads hot. And that's just kind of the way things work. Um, but uh, it's uh, been a good thing to work with her, and we enjoy doing that. And uh, we've got... Uh, a busy home. We've got five daughters and one granddaughter and, and uh, uh, three daughters still at home, moved one off to college yesterday. And, and uh, we just have a lot taking place around our house. I do have one male dog that keeps me company uh, in the midst of all of the females. So uh, hopefully by now you've turned to John chapter 11. And uh, I cannot in any way stand in this pulpit and preach near as well as Brother Matt. So you're just going to have to endure my, my preaching today. Uh, but I've come to love Brother Matt and appreciate him and his ministry and what God is doing here uh, through his ministry. So uh, you definitely have a much better preacher every week than you have today. I'll assure you of that. Let's look at uh, John chapter 11. We're going to look at, at, I'm going to read the first 45 verses. Now, don't lose me there. I'm not going to preach on 45, but we need to see the whole story in context. So John chapter 11, uh, beginning of verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And the sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus and when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in by the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the, this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11. Then he said, um, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going for your sakes that I was, I'm Glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then were, uh, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And therefore, Mary, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, excuse me, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept the man also from dying? Verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heard me and I know that thou hears me always. But because of the people sitting around, I've said it that they may believe that you did send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around him with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And then look at verse 45. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. Heavenly Father, I ask that today you would open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to this passage that we would see that you indeed are greater than whatever we're facing. And so, God, I ask that you would just move in our midst in these next few moments. We give you the time. We open our hearts to you and ask, Lord, for you to have your way. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read all 45 verses of this passage, but I'm not going to preach on all 45. I just want to give you three simple truths out of this passage about God being greater than what you're facing. The first is our God is greater for his glory. Our God is greater for his glory. If we look at verse four, Jesus tells the disciples specifically that uh, the sickness is not going to end in death, but for the glory of God, that the son may be glorified. Then when we go to the end of the passage in verse 40, Jesus says to Martha, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, I had not been, um, a, uh, I had not seen that truth until recently. Many times as we read this passage, we, we look to the, the physical details of what's displayed. John records for us, and, and we understand that Jesus had been in Jerusalem. They wanted to stone him. He withdrew across the Jordan River to to the east and 
he stayed there and was ministering there when word came that Lazarus was sick. Now, I would have expected, and you too, when we read this story, expect Jesus, because he loved Lazarus, he loved the family, that he would immediately return. But the Bible tells us that he stayed, again, two, two days longer than after, after he had heard the word. He stayed two additional days. Now, if it took one day for the word to get there and two days uh, that he stayed longer, it was the fourth day that he traveled back, and we can easily see how Lazarus was in the grave for four days. And I have always looked at it just from the standpoint that Jesus was weeping because He loved them and He loved them and wanted Lazarus to be restored in His physical body so that they would have their needs met, that their deepest hurt would be fixed. I, I saw it as God wanting to fix the problem. But when I read this passage recently, the, the word glory just seemed to jump off of the page at me and I saw something different than I had seen before. You see, in verse 4, Jesus says that it's not going to end in death, but it is for the glory of God. Now, what is the, the glory of God? There's two ways of looking at that, and you might think of it like a piece of paper that has a front and a back. It has two sides, but it's one piece of paper. And, and the same is true of the glory of God. There is simply the glory of God for who He is. And you'll recall that Moses asked to see the glory of God. He prayed and he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, you couldn't handle the glory. And remember, he, he, said, he took him and he put him in the rock. And it says that he hid him there in the rock, put his hand over the rock to hide Moses from the glory. And he said, you will only see the, the shadow of the glory as I pass by in front of you. And that glory of God so transformed Moses that when he came down off of the mountain, he had to wear a veil over his face for he reflected the glory of God to the people around him in such a way that they couldn't look even upon Moses. The glory of God is, in one sense, it is just the majesty of who He is. Now when we think of this passage, we need to understand that the purpose of the healing and the, the resurrection of Lazarus was not just for the physical nature that, that Lazarus would breathe again, it was for the display of God's glory. It was God wanting to move so that people would see Him. Not that they would see the effect of, of earth, but they would see the effect in heaven. They wanted, God said, I want them to see me, my character, my love, my heart, my strength, my power. He wanted them to see that He was greater than whatever they were facing. The second aspect of the glory of God is when we give God glory. When we return, when we encounter the glory of God, we in turn praise God and give glory back to Him. And it's two different sides again of that same piece of paper. One is the glory that we see of God for who He is. And the second is the glory we give when we praise Him for who He is. And Jesus is saying the purpose of this healing, the purpose of what's about to take place is for God's glory. Now, I'm not going to say that it's a magic ingredient that if we can praise God in our dark times, if we can, can somehow find the strength to, to utter praise and give Him glory when we're facing difficulties, that He's going to miraculously move and change them. But I will say that it is a, a truth that when He acts in a miraculous way, it's not simply for our human benefit, but it's for the display of the glory of God. We have to change our perspective we've got to see that it's not about Lazarus breathing again. It's about the glory of God 
being displayed. It's not about our difficulty being removed. It's about the glory of God being shown and us giving Him praise in the midst of it. For me, when I was in that dark night of the soul, when, when I was struggling, it wasn't that God was going to change things in my situation and remove the heartache or remove the problem or fix it. It was that in that time, I was going to draw so close to God that I was going to see Him in a new way and experience Him in a new way and come away changed by Him regardless of the circumstances and the situations. You see, we, we go to Romans 8.28 when we're in a hard time and we say, God, I want you to use this, somehow make this bad thing good. But Romans 8.28 says that God uses the bad things for good, for His glory and our benefit. David said when we pray that God will give us the desires of our heart, it's not a blank check that He would fix everything, it's that our hearts become aligned with His and our desires with His. And so we have to shift our perspective and see that God is greater not for our benefit. God is greater not to remove the difficulty or the challenge, but God is greater so that He'll receive glory. He's going to act and move so that He will receive the praise for what is taking place. You may have seen recently, all of us heard and were, were dismayed by the tragedy on Table Rock Lake a few weeks ago when one of the tour boats sank and part of that tragedy was that nine members from one family passed away in, in that sinking of that boat. My wife showed me a, a picture this week from one of the funerals and one of the survivors of that same family. There were 11 of them on, on that boat. Two survived, nine perished. And at the funeral, there was a picture that had had been circulated and just simply showed her standing before the casket during the worship time or the, or the song part of that service with her arms outstretched. She wasn't asking God to change and bring that loved one back to life. She was simply acknowledging that God in the darkest night of my soul, I'm going to give you glory, that you're still God. You and I, whatever we're facing today, we've got to get past the idea of a Santa Claus God that will somehow reach in and change all of our, our difficulties and, and smooth everything out and make everything better. He may. He's certainly capable of it. But we need to praise Him in whatever we're facing that the glory would go to Him. That it would be about Him. The most relieving thing for me in my life was when I realized it's not about me, it's all about Him. And so therefore, when He gives me a new day and He gives me breath for this day, it's not about my comfort or my pleasure, it's about how I can use the gifts He's given me to serve Him and give Him glory. God moved in the situation with Lazarus, but it wasn't just for Lazarus' benefit, it was for the glory of God. Because our God is indeed greater our God is greater not just for his glory but I want you to see today that our God is greater than your toughest challenge I don't think there's any fear that we have that's that's deeper deeper rooted in our our psyche than the fear of death I think it has to do with the fact that death is final we know that that uh, when we breathe our last that this body then begins to 
decompose and this body is finished. And so there's a fear of what's going to happen on the other side. We have to trust in our faith that we know what's going to happen on the other side. But the enemy sometimes paralyzes us with this fear. And it, I think that in this, this passage, we see that our God is greater than any challenge that we face. And He uses as the, the lesson of the day our deepest fear. But look at verses 43 and 44. Towards the end of the passage, Jesus has already removed the stone. Martha has reminded Him that the, the body is, is already dead and that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And then in, in verse 41 and 42, Jesus prays and He tells us again that he's, he's just doing this for God's glory. That God would get the credit. That they wouldn't see this as something that He was doing in and of Himself. But it was all about God. And then in verse 43, He overcomes the toughest challenge of that day and the toughest challenge still today. And in verse 43, He says, when He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth bound with the wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And then look at the beautiful words at the end of verse 44. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. If you're in the midst of a difficulty today, I want you to hear Jesus saying to you, unbind him and let him go. I want you to hear him say to you, be unbound and stand strong and move forward. You see, whatever the, the tough... Uh, day you may be facing is when we realize that it's all about God and for his glory sometimes he intervenes and overcomes our toughest challenge but he is certainly greater than our challenge could be it's interesting because in the exchange with Martha back over in verse 24 she's talking to him about the the resurrection and and she says God if you had only been here it's interesting because Martha and Mary said the exact same thing to Jesus at, at two different times. It's almost like if they could team up on him, maybe they could change the situation or, or make him understand that he had missed the opportunity. But they both say to him, Lord, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. And then Martha adds to it and she says to him, but I know that you're able to do anything. And so when, I, when I've read this story before, I've always thought Martha was was filled with faith at that moment. Because she's saying, God, you can do anything. Our brother is, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. You're here now. You can do anything. And so my mind, knowing the end of the story, bridges the gap and says, she's asking Jesus to bring Lazarus back to life. And so look again at that exchange. If you'll look in verse 24 or 23, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Now again, I'm thinking that he's speaking of the physical resurrection, and, and he is indeed, but Martha is not. Look at verse 24. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That was the Jewish teaching, that there would be a resurrection at the end. She understands he's the Messiah, and that he's going to bring about uh, the ultimate resurrection at the end, because she says that he is Christ in verse 27. You are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. So she's acknowledging Him as the Messiah, but she hasn't seen that He's capable of overcoming her deepest hurt in this physical world. And look again at verse 25. Jesus says, I'm going to raise Him back to life. But she's missed it. She's thinking that it's only that spiritual nature. We see that again when we get to, to 
uh, verse 39 when Jesus says to remove the stone and Martha says, but Lord, there will be a stench. He's been dead for four days. She is not expecting a physical resurrection. She has not believed that He is capable of raising Lazarus and giving breath back to Him at that very moment. That's not what she's expecting at least. She's all talking about the end of time. And when I read this story again, I came across that truth that when God moves for His glory, sometimes He intervenes in our physical world and sometimes He does not. It's always for His glory though that He's going to use the situation to somehow come out for good. But Martha hasn't seen that play out yet. And I think sometimes we ascribe her a little too much faith in thinking that Martha has expected this physical resurrection that very day. But Jesus surprises her and He overcomes it. You see, the obvious application to this passage is that whatever our difficulty is, Jesus is going to fix it. And He may. He certainly may. He's certainly capable. And I want us to remember that He is greater than whatever we're facing today. General Stonewall Jackson got his name from a guy named General B who actually died. And the day that he died in in battle, he told his troops, look down there, uh, down a, a bluff where... Uh, General Jackson had his troops rallied. And he noticed that General Jackson stood up tall among the, the flying bullets. And so he said, look, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. And that's where the name Stonewall Jackson came from. But when somebody asked him, how is it that you're able to stand up tall in battle? His response was this, My religion's belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in my own bed. For God has fixed the time of my death. And I do not concern myself about that, but to always be ready. In other words, he said it could happen at any time. When it's my time to go, whether it's in the battlefield or at home, it's my time. And he had a faith that was resilient and able to stand strong in the battle because he knew that his God was greater. While Jackson later died as a result of a wound from a battle, his faith was strong that his God was greater. And even on his deathbed, he said, my wish has come true for it was a Sunday. And he said, my last breath shall be on the Lord's day. His faith was true to the end. I'm not saying he was a perfect man, but he certainly understood that his God was greater. Thirdly, I want us to see the most important truth of this passage. Our God is greater for His glory. Our God is greater than whatever our physical challenge is that we face. And our God is greater than our deepest need. Let's camp out for a moment in verses 24 through 26. Martha said, I know the dead will rise in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. In that phrase, Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. The the phrase I am would have brought an immediate recollection to her mind of the name that God gave Himself when Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? And God said, I am. We translate that name into English as Yahweh. When translated through the German language because of the difference in pronunciation, it comes out as Jehovah. It's the personal name of God. It encompasses 
the past, present, and future tense, just as Hebrews reminds us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we think of the personal name of God, the name I Am encompasses all three that He was, He is, and He will be. And it's that personal name of God when Jesus says, I Am, that would have resonated in Martha's mind. But not only is he saying that I am God, he says I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection dealt with a physical need that was going to be faced in just a few moments that we've already talked about, that his body would rise again, there would be breath again in his lungs, his heart would again pump and blood would begin to flow, and he is the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I can overcome whatever you're facing in life today. And then he says, I am the life. And that's not just the life of the moment. That's not just the physical nature of breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. That is saying that there is eternal life available to all of us because He is God. He says, I am the life. And then He clarifies to say, He who believes in Me shall live even if He dies. And those who do not die, everyone who lives, in verse 26, shall never die. You see, he's saying that there is an opportunity for life beyond the grave. There is an opportunity for something bigger than just the 80 years that we get here on this earth. There is something greater than all of that. And God is greater than our greatest need, which is that there is a a death that's coming to us. It says to us it is appointed once unto man to die, and then comes the judgment. And at that moment, our greatest need is a Savior. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life, if you believe in Jesus as the Savior, then we can have the confidence of verse 26 that we shall never die. You see, our greatest need is more than just our physical problem. Our greatest need is for a Savior that can take away our sin. The Bible tells us that at that time of judgment that our hearts will be examined. Because of our human nature, we've chosen our own selfish ways, and somewhere along the way, we have chosen ourselves over God, and in so doing, we've earned ourselves. The wages of our sin is death, an eternal death, a death in hell. But God has given us life through Jesus Christ, and if we believe, He says we can have everlasting life. The free gift of God is this life that overcomes our sin, but it's only found in understanding Jesus is more than a physical resurrection. He is eternal life. The pointed question comes at the end of verse 26. Jesus looks to Martha and He says, do you believe this? The King James says, believest thou this? Do you believe? You see, the, to understand the mental problem that we have, the, mental, the situation is we have to move beyond just the mental understanding that our God is greater. But we must truly believe in our hearts because the Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts, then we can be saved. It's more than just a mental knowledge that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. It's our own personal declaration that Martha says in verse 27, you are the Christ, the Son of God. The same cry that Peter made and Jesus said, upon this confession I shall build my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. 
You see, our greatest need is for a Savior. And Jesus says, I am that Savior. And so that question comes to you and I today. Do we believe? The phrase I've repeated throughout this morning has been, our God is greater. And maybe as I've repeated it, a song has come to your mind, one written by Chris Tomlin, similar to the song of his that we sang earlier this morning. And it reminds us that it's in the darkest moment that God shines and it's out of the ashes that we rise. And then he says, there is no one like you, no none, for our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you're higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God. And then he reminds us, If God is for us, then who could stop us? If God is with us, then what can stand against us? And he repeats that as a declaration over and over. When asked about the song, Tomlin said this, if you really believe in God, then you know that everything is possible. Anything can happen. Miracles can happen. All things are available to you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's coming against you. Life comes against all of us, but you know that God is for you. He said, that's from Scripture. That's not just his thought or opinion. And then he reminds us, the Scripture tells us, if God is for you, then who can be against you? And the songwriter himself said this, I love the hope that is in that statement. Our God is greater. Whatever you're facing today, I want to remind you that He is greater. But then I want to ask you the question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe do you believe he's greater than the physical problem you're facing the challenge in front of you for his glory he can overcome whatever you're facing but greater than that is our need for a savior and this morning if you're here today and you've not received that greatest gift of eternal life to know that he is greater than your need of a savior then this morning i want to call you forward to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. It's a simple prayer that we pray in our hearts, giving our lives back to Him. And this morning, you have that opportunity. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song of response as you respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You that You are greater than whatever we're facing. And so, Lord, I ask that You would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, you would give us the strength to be obedient to you. Let us hear your voice and respond to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.